feel like Pavlov's dog when that bell rings. I gotta, gotta run out. So, hey, um, welcome. Um, I'm Nelson Jenkins. I'm the youth pastor here. So you're stuck with me tonight because Matt just skipped the country. I think he's in Michigan. Um, so, but it's it's awesome to be here. And I wanted to just say first of all, going off of that baptism picture, that was just awesome. That was a great time to come together and to celebrate. Together and with 40 people um, being baptized, it was a it was a Dunkin' Dash. We were just like, you know, so. But it was just a, a great time to celebrate together with people that are just saying, "Hey, I want people to know that that I've made a decision for Christ and making that public." So that's awesome. Um, hey, I want to start out by just saying that this summer has been kind of nuts. I've been um, two mission trips this summer. We we went um, to Omaha and then into Mexico. And and um, when you when I plan Mexico. Uh, mission trips, I always tell the kids, I said, you've got to remember the word flexibility. You've got to remember that because if you don't, you're going to be in real trouble. Because I've done probably 30 plus mission trips over the years. And um, yeah, I started when I was four. Um, and none of them have gone the way I planned. We did, when I first got here, we went out to um, Washington, D.C., took a group drove all across to, to Washington, D.C. with our church van and trailer. And we got there, and, and we, were, we were doing some work. And, and I was just kind of like, boy, you know, this wasn't what I was really kind of planning. I was, I was kind of hoping we could do more. And, and two days, maybe three days into the trip, the lady who was kind of running our trip, it was just her and then our group, and we were working with a church in the city, and, and right downtown in, in Washington, D.C. About two, three days in the trip, she comes up, she says, I've got to leave. And we have four days left of this trip. And I was like, all right, so where's the punchline? And she goes, she goes, I just found out that the cancer I had has returned. And I've, and I've got to go, go back t- to the hospital. And so at that point, we were just kind of like, all right, you know, obviously, you know, she went. And so now it was just, we're there going, what are we going to do, God? What is it that we're supposed to do here? So we went and talked to the church, and some of those things that we had wanted to do, I just said, I went to the church, because when she was leading, I just said, I'm just going to, whatever she tells us to do, we're going to do. So I went to the church and said, here's some things that we were hoping maybe we could do. And they were like, oh, we would love that. And so we ended up getting to do things that we wouldn't have been able to do. And it was just kind of like, that wasn't the plan going in. That wasn't, and that wasn't kind of like, oh, I'm so glad that happened, but it was just kind of like, that's the way God worked that out. And then we went to Cass Lake up in Minnesota um, a couple years after that, and we get up there, and the work that we're supposed to be doing wasn't really panning out, and we end up having a storm. I mean, a, a straight line winds. You, you guys ever seen, been in one of those? With the, the rain is going this way. It, it is straight across, and it is, it was scary. The, the, Sky looks totally different. It was, it was just kind of one of those places I was like, I've never been in a storm like this, and here I am with probably 35, 40 teens. And, and it was like, okay, so we just kind of stayed in, and the storm caused so much havoc that we had plenty of ministry to do for the next three days. We just went, and we drove into town, and we went up to people's houses, knocked on the door, and said, hey, we've got a group of teens. Can we just clear, clear the trees and limbs and stuff in your, you know, in your front yard? And, and they were just like, oh. That's, that's awesome. And so it was a great chance to do ministry. And, and that night, the power went out. And so we ended up doing worship, but it was like totally dark. And it was, the kids talk about the fact that that was some of the best worship we had. It was just kind of quiet and dark. And here we are just singing. 
um, and just having a great time. That night, um, there was a dog, there was a stray dog that had spent the whole week there. And, and I kept going to the, you know, to, to the people running the trip. I said, not really crazy. I don't know what to do about this dog, but it's like, he doesn't look healthy. He doesn't, you know, and, and I don't know anything about him. And so they're like, oh, just stay away from him. He's just, a neighbor must have just left him. And so we got this stray dog walking around and I'm like, I wish, God, I wish you would take care of this, you know, because I don't know what's going to happen. Well, that night, <clears throat> um, this dog just starts barking, just roo, 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 just all night. And I was just like, oh, this is really getting annoying. And it wouldn't stop. And so finally I get up and I open the door and I just go, would you stop barking? And I'm yelling at this dog that I don't know. And it just keeps barking, just keeps barking at, at this tree over by the dumpster. And I was like, what are you barking at? Well, as I look, it's kind of dark, so I can't really see. I see the tree moving. And the tree was a bear. And this dog is basically barking, keeping the, do- the, the bear away f- from, you know, the place that we're staying. So I went back and I said, why are you stopping? <laughs> Keep barking, dog. But it's this whole idea that in my mind, I'm sitting there going, God, get rid of this dog because, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here. Well, God said, uh, you might want that dog to stay around. So we named the dog, and it was our best friend the rest of the trip. We didn't name the bear. So, um, But I want to talk a little bit tonight about making plans and what the Bible says about making plans. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a, a Bible um, in the seats in front of you. I'd love to t- have you take that out and, and follow along with us. It's, it should be on page 979 in the, in the chair Bibles. And we're just going to read a little bit about what God says about making plans and how we should do that. Because again, when we make our plans for the mission trips like that, I always sit there and go, God, I already know this isn't going to go the way we planned, but we have to at least have a direction that we're going to go and then kind of see where God's going to take us. And he always takes us in awesome, awesome places. So James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Read along with me here. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Let's pray together as we start here. God, thank you for your word. I just pray these next few minutes that you would help us to truly understand what you're trying to teach us. And that as we can walk away from here today just, just knowing more about how much you love us and, and how your plans are so much better than ours. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about making plans. And as you look at these verses, it talks about the fact that here's somebody who says, hey, today or tomorrow I'm going to go out in the city and we're going to spend a, a year there, carry on business and make money. When you look at that, you say, what is wrong with that? They're making plans. They're, they're, they're just setting up and trying to make plans like we all do. We all make plans, or we should. I mean, there are times when I'm preparing for a sermon, and I just say, you know what? I'm just going to let God speak. I'm not even going to plan it. And so you'll see that tonight. Um, so 
but we all make plans, but then we sit there and say, all right, God, what is it that you want? That's, that's what we're going to be looking at today is that's what God is saying. But we're going to start with the wrong way to make plans. So if, if you're following in the bulletin there, there's, there's um, lines you can fill in. And, and if I miss one, you can be that person that comes up and yells at me later. So, but we start with the wrong way to make plans. And it says, now listen to you who say, today or tomorrow we will go out to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And so I want to stop there because the idea that when we make plans and we don't involve God in those plans, that's the wrong way to make plans. See, planning without God is boastful and foolish. When you plan and you leave God out of the planning process, it's boastful because really essentially what you're saying, that's what James is saying here is you're saying, I can do this on my own. God, I don't need you to be involved in this. So it's possible, and it's also foolish, because we know, it de- I guess, depending on where your picture of God is, would depend, like, w- what this next phrase means. If you think that your plans are a lot better and greater than God's plans, then I would change God's. Because you're saying that your God is, is less than who you are. And I look at it and say, I get... The, the God, the creator of this universe who's out there. And if I say, God, I got this, you know, I don't need you for this. I'm really saying I'm, I'm not tapping into all of that power that God has. I'm saying, uh, because usually what happens a lot of times for me is I'll make a plan and it'll totally screw up. And then I go to God and say, um, God, can you fix that? Because I really messed that up. And a lot of times that's what happens is we involve God in our plans after we've realized that we failed. And we go, God, I need you to fix what I've messed up. And I can tell you a number of times how that's happened. But to sit there and say, I'm going to make these plans and not involve God in it is, is foolish. It's boastful and foolish. Back in 1988, anyone remember 1988? If you do, you probably remember that at least I did, I remember I was in Omaha, I got this little flyer on my car, on the windshield. And it said, 88 reasons why Christ will return in 1988. And it went through this whole thing. The author predicted that the rapture was going to happen. He didn't get a clear vision from God because he said it was going to happen either September 11th, 12th, or 13th. So somewhere in there, he, kinda, he, he narrowed it down in the, of, of 1988. So over 3 million copies of that book were distributed, sent out. And millions believed that, yet it never came to pass. Now, this is the way my mind works. If somebody comes up and says, hey, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is going to return next week, I would go up to them and I'd say, give me everything you own. Or I'd make a bet with them and say, hey, you know what, I'll, I'll bet you that that doesn't happen. I'll bet you everything I have for everything you have that that doesn't happen. And I win either way. Because if Jesus does return, I'm in heaven celebrating. I didn't lose anything. But if he doesn't, I've got that person's stuff because they just made a bet with me. So, again, that's where my crooked mind works. But So when people come up and they say, hey, I know exactly when Jesus is going to return. They're basically saying, I know God's mind. I know how he's, he's working. So that was in 88. Obviously, we know that 
It didn't happen because the next year he came out with a book, 89 Reasons. Well, Jesus will return in 89. And I think he's been going on since. But also 2000, Y2K happens. I'm, I'm in up just north of Omaha, Nebraska, and I had some dear friends who were really freaking out. See, I wasn't into computers a whole lot, so it didn't worry me because I didn't have any idea what they were talking about, but they're all like, boy, once it hits and that clicks over to 2000, all the computers are going to shut down, our whole life is going to shut down. And they would bunker up, and they would sit there, and they'd have basements full of food. They were ready for a disaster to happen. And I remember going, well, that's not a bad idea just to put some you know, food in the basement. Just ahead. So I ended up storing some food in there that I got to use in the year 2000 and, and beyond. You know, so, but it's the whole idea that people were like, wait, the world's going to end. 2000, the world's going to end, and, and it's, it's all going to be over. A lot of times we make our plans, and we sit there and go, I'm going I'm to do this on my own. I don't need God to do this. See, there's nothing wrong with planning for the future. As we look, and James is going to tell us that. But it's wrong to leave God out of that planning process. So if, if we look at, I want us to, to look back here and, and 14 and 15, it says, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And so... Understanding that James is, is saying that if we try to boast in our own plans, in the Greek that he's using when, he, when he's writing here is the idea that we're arrogant enough to think that our plans are best. Our plans are better than what God has. See, the problem is they might happen and they may not happen. We, don't, we can't guarantee. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's what James is trying to tell us. But if we start bragging about it, and it doesn't come to pass, then we start making excuses. But we try to find someone to blame because it didn't come out the way we thought it was going to. I've got a, a couple of verses, different passages I want to read here. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. So the whole idea that we make our plans, and then Proverbs also talks about the fact that God directs our steps. So God's, he's not saying don't make plans, but he's saying allow God to direct your steps. And then Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. So don't boast about what you're going to do tomorrow. Don't boast about all the plans that you've made on your own, because you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. And then Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. He told them this parable. The, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And so that's what he's telling us, is that when you make your plans, you've got to involve God in that, because that's the next point we want to look at, is the right way to make plans. And verse 15 in here is the key to that. 
Because it tells us here in verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As simple as saying, I'm making these plans, but Lord, if it's, if, as long as it's your will, we're going to do this. We're going to go here and do that. You look at Paul and on his journeys. Paul went on these missionary journeys where he'd get in a boat and he would take off for, for different countries. And if you read anything about it, Paul's not the kind of guy that you want to get in a ship with. Because he had a lot of shipwrecks. And you're saying, man, you know what? I'll just wait. I'll wait for the next ship. But Paul would go out there. He'd go visit all these churches. He'd start these churches with different men. And he'd go back and he'd visit these churches and see how they're doing. And as he leaves, he comes up and he says, if it's the Lord's will, I'll come back and we'll visit you again. He says that a number of times. And the other times where he doesn't say that, it's implied that we know that that's his heart, that he says, God, if it's your will, I'll do this. So Paul understood that he's going to make the plans of, I want to come back and visit them. But he understood that it, it all depends on what God wants. So if it's God's will. So planning with God is wise and right. And that's what verse 15 tells us. If, if the Lord wills. My mother has a phrase that she uses, and, and she's kind of ingrained it in me, is, is make your plans in pencil and give God the eraser. I think that's, that's a great way to look at what these verses are saying. James isn't saying don't make plans. He's saying make your plans in pencil. Give God the eraser in case he wants to change something. Too many times we make our plans in Sharpie. Have you ever tried to erase something in Sharpie? It doesn't work. All right? But if we make our plans in pencil, we say, God, this is the way I feel you're leading us. You can erase and change it as you go. And I can say, thank God, when I, when I plan events or trips with the youth group, that God uses his eraser because it's so much better when we follow what God wants. So that's the right way to make plans. We went to Mexico um, just two, three weeks ago here. We were, we were down in Mexico and the guy who was kind of the pastor that we were working with there, he had started a church in Monterey, Mexico. And by the time we were down there, I believe, I'm going to mess this up and I'll get you out that later, but I tried to make some calls, but I didn't um, get a return call. So if I get this wrong, I'm blaming him. So um, I believe there were about 30 churches that were planted from this one church. The, the church that Hector had, had planted... 30 different churches in the city of, of Monterey were now started out, out, of, out of what this, this man was doing, you know, following after what God wants. Well, we went out and we did Bible distribution. And we're handing out Bibles. We're going through. And I will be honest, there were times when you felt like a Jehovah's Witness when you're going up to people's houses and it's kind of like, this is kind of awkward. But everyone just, they, they were so happy to see us because we're white Americans and we speak English. And so they'd come out. And I had down, I had the phrase down, do you have a Bible in your house? And it was, tien usted un biblia en su casa. And I got it to where, man, I knew that. So they knew, I was asking, do you have a Bible in your house? And they got so excited because I spoke their language, they started going and having a conversation with me. And I had no idea what they were saying. So I had to sit there and go, no, say, that's all I know. That's it. All right, I just, it's just a C or no. That's the only thing I need. It's like, I don't know what you're saying. And so we'd go, and 
they take Bibles, a lot of them took Bibles, and we sit there and go, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with those Bibles, but God does. And the story that was so cool about that was Hector, when he was real young, someone came to his house handing out Bibles. He took that Bible, he put it on a shelf in his house, and it sat there for years. One day he decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to pull that Bible off, dust it off, and I'm going to read it. A Bible that years earlier someone had come by and dropped off and they just kind of put it aside. As he read it, he realized what Jesus had done for him and the fact that he needed Jesus in his life. And he accepted Christ as a Savior. And he ended up going on and doing great things and planting all these churches in Monterey. All because somebody dropped a Bible off. And in our timing, we're saying, boy, God, I hope you do something today. I hope you do something this week. We don't normally pray, God, I sure hope in five years you do something great here. That's not normally how we pray. But God says, I've got this. You do the work. You make the plans of going out and doing what I tell you to do. I'll take care of what happens after that. And that's the cool thing about it is we can make our plans, but God already kind of knows what's going to happen out there. And so two, two things that we can know for sure about the future. Two things that you can write this down and say, I know two things for sure about the future. God knows it. I don't. That's as simple as that. Whatever the future holds, God knows it. And I don't. So if we start thinking, I don't need God in my plans because I got this covered. We're going to say, man, I really messed that up. And, and so God knows what's going to happen out there. So the next part, we look at verse 14, and it says, Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Our life is a vapor. It's here and then gone. I started researching because I really wanted, because I like visuals, I wanted to do something where, like, smoke just comes up, and then all of a sudden it just goes away, and you had a visual of what our life looks like, as, as James is talking about. But as I looked at it, I realized I'm not a scientist, and we probably wouldn't have a church when I got done, but it would have been really cool to remember, right? It's like, I think it's something about our life as a vapor, and then the church just blew up. I don't know anything else. But that's the visual I wanted to have, even if it was like take some flour and just kind of throw it up, and, but then our maintenance guys would have been after me for that. So I can't win either way on that. But James tells us, he goes, your life is a vapor. When we talk about five years, that this guy has the Bible, and five or so years down the road, that's when all of a sudden he picks it up and he reads it, and and things start to happen. Understand it, in our eyes, five years seems like a long time. In God's eyes, it's a blip. You think about the fact that God has no beginning and no end. So God has no idea of time. He has no concept of time because there is no time for him. So five years is like five seconds or five decades. It does, God doesn't look at it in that same way as, that we do. We look in and sit there and say, boy, 90 years. If I live to be 90, man, I've, I've had a full life. God's saying, man, that is just a mist. A vapor. It's here and it's gone. And that's what James is trying to tell us, is our life is like that. In God's eyes, it's, it's just like that. So when we sit there and make our plans and we say, well, i got all these great plans that are going to happen, God says, you don't know. 
You don't know what's going to happen. Job 8, verse 9. I'm just going to read these. You can write them down if you want, but um, just read these. Um, Job 8, verse 9 says, For we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow. And then later Job says in, verse 14, in chapter 14, 1 and 2, Mortals born of woman are of few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and wither away. Like fleeting shadows, they do not endure. And then Psalm 39, 4 and 5 says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everything is but a breath, even those who seem secure. So the whole idea of, of like, life is just, it's, it's quick. And we, we got to understand that. We got to understand that no matter how long we, we think we have, God says, I know the future. I know everything. Can we just say with a little relief that thank God, God doesn't kind of give us the future as far as when we're going to die? How weird would that be? Think about how your life would change if God said, hey, you know what? September 11th, 1988. That's it. And here you are in, in 1972, and, you're, and you know that for a fact you're not going to um, die for 16 years. 60, yeah, let's go with that. Um, you're not going to die for a while. You can sit there and go, I can do whatever I want. Because I know the date that it's going to end. And I can go out and live life and do whatever I want. And then I can get serious about life just before that happens. But what if it's September 10th, 1988? Think about how your life would change if you said, tomorrow, I know because God has told me, this is going to be the last day. Think how you'd live your life if tomorrow were your last day on earth. And James is telling us that's how we should be living our life. Not in a morbid, like, I'm going to die tomorrow. But the, the fact is, we don't know. We don't know when our time is up. And if we're living our life saying, I've got years, I'll get serious down the road. And God says, to the, like he said in Luke, he says, you fool, today, it's over. And we've got to be careful to understand that God's saying, don't sit there and try to pretend that you've got forever, because we don't know that. When you make your plans Put God in the center of that. Make your plans in pencil and give God the eraser. Allow him in that, in that decision making. Then we go to the last thing we want to look at here is, I want to start by, you don't have to raise your hand here, but it's like, how many have sinned in the past week? And again, you don't need to raise your hand because if you don't raise your hand, you've just sinned and you're, you're already there. We've all sinned this past week. All right? And so when you think about it for a second, you think back to this past week, and I'm thinking, okay, yep, yep, I know where I've sinned. I know where I've messed up. How many of those sins were sins where you knew what you should do and you didn't do it? Think about that for a second. When we think of sins, we always think of, oh, I did this, I did that, I did that. Look at what James tells us in verse 17. If anyone then 
knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it. It is sin for them. James is saying it's not always things you do that are sin. It may be where you know this is what God is telling you to do. And that comes from God's word. As we study God's word, we know what God wants for our lives. And James says, if you know what you're supposed to do, and you don't do it, you sin. So for me, again, the way my mind works is, and this is the way it works with a lot of different things, I try to know as little as possible, therefore I'm not accountable for stuff. Like if somebody says, can you fix this? And I say, no, because I don't know how to do that. And that's literally, that is true. Everyone they think knows that. If you've got a plumbing issue at your house, I'm the last person you want to call. Because you'll have an electrical issue when I'm done. Or something else. Or you won't have a house. So, but it's like, I always, I always went through life and, and my, you know, my wife would come up, can you fix this? And I say, sorry, I can't. <laughs> you know, and, and she's got to the point now, we've been married for 92 years, that she doesn't ask me to fix things. Because she just knows that the serviceman that comes is going to have twice as much to fix later. But it's the idea that we look at them and say, boy, if, if it's true that if I know what I should do and I don't do it, I'm sinning, then I should know less. Right? Doesn't that kind of make logical sense? That I'm going to sin if I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it. But God's saying, the more you know, the more you can, I can bless you. But it's also the more you're going to be accountable for. And so when he's looking at here, he's, he's saying, look, if we make our plans and we don't involve God, and that's what I want us to look at, it says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it. It is sin for them. That then part says, let's look back to what we just talked about. So what James is saying is, if you make plans in your life and you leave God out of those plans, guess what? It's sin. It's sin for us to make plans and think that we can do it on our own and not not involve God. Because if we know what we should do and we don't do it, that's sin. And that can go a lot of different ways with that. But if we look at the context of what James is writing, he's saying when it comes to our planning, we need to be careful to make sure that we involve God in that. And that doesn't mean we sit back and say, all right, God, I'm ready for you to just, you know, push me when you're ready to do something. I've always said that a moving car is a lot easier to steer than one that's standing still. So we move the car and we say, all right, God, I'm, I'm going this direction, but please, if this isn't the direction I, I should be going, steer me the way I should go. Show me the way that I need to go th- so that I'm in your will. And then we, can, we can look at that in so many different ways in our lives and say, God, is this truly the path that you want for my life? Because if, if it isn't, then we're going to end up looking back and saying, God, I need you now to fix all these messes that I've made in my life because I left you out of that process. So don't make your plans in Sharpie. Make them in pencil and give God the eraser. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the fact that you love us. Lord, we know that, that in spite of all that we do, in spite of the fact that we make plans so many times and we leave you out of the process, Lord, that you still love us and care for us. I pray that as we, we think through this, this next week, We think through some of the plans that we're going to be making. 
Lord, help us to be wise and, and right and look into you for those decisions and what those mean. Lord, we just thank you so much that you know what's best. I do thank you, Lord, that you know the future, even when we don't, and that we can trust in you that you've got what's best for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.